The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. There you go. Well, it's good to be uh, with you here this morning to, to share in God's Word, to share in worship together. Isn't that always a special time? I love the opportunity, just that weekly opportunity, just to lift our eyes up and to remember that our lives are taking part in a much bigger story. There's a, there's a, there's a deeper meaning to life than just the, the humdrum routine of what we do day in, day out. And it sounds like to me you've been for, well, quite a little while now, sitting in the Sermon on the Mount. Is that right? You've been there for a couple of months at the very least. The greatest sermon ever preached. That's a good place to spend some time. You have to say it's the greatest sermon ever preached because Jesus is the goat. And so there's no one better than him. Technically, actually, Jesus is the lamb. Uh, But goat is an acronym, so you can say it. Uh, Our main theme today, coming from the Sermon on the Mount, is going to be on judging, as you've heard before. And so before we get to our passage and get stuck into it, I think I have a few things to share with you about judging. And the first is this, when it comes to judging, I'm for it. You could say I'm something of an expert when it comes to judging. Um, It's something of a spiritual gift. Uh, There are two main situations in life where I am most encouraged to exercise my gift of, of judging. The first is when driving. And the second is at the supermarket. When driving, I think I speak for us all when I say, learn to merge. It's, it's not as complicated as it sounds. You take it in turns, one from this lane, one from that lane, one from, it's, it's like a zip, you see. And if you go two from this lane, well, what happens when you get two from the same side on the zip? It's not rocket surgery. If we do it wrong, it becomes a dog's breakfast. Second point in our sermon today, the supermarket. For some reason, some people seem to be unaware that if you stand with one hand on your trolley, spread out widthways, whilst you stare for 14 minutes at the different varieties of mustard, uh, that other people can't get past you. And so you should step to one side and keep yourself on one side of the aisle. Um, tinned corn can't be that exciting. You don't need to, you don't need to block everybody's way. And so I, when... When we hear of these two things, both the inability to merge and the blocking of the shopping aisles, if you do either one of those two things, well, this morning I need you to hear me say, I am better than you. (laughs) It's very important that you hear that. That concludes our sermon for today. It's been lovely to worship with you. 150 years of faithfulness at another Baptist church. Perhaps just to be safe, we should take a look at what Jesus has to say about judging. So why don't we give our attention again to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. Judge not that you be not judged. Uh For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And so here we are hoping that uh, none of this is going on the internet. First of all, you can edit that out, right? that's, That's not going to be there forever. Jesus says to us, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How... Can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You can picture it, can't you? Like you go to the doctor and you're like, doc, I've got a splinter. The doctor's like, I got this. I'm just trying to reach your sp- this plank of wood sticking out his head. That's what I picture. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. It's profound, isn't it? Judge not that you be not judged. How do you, how do you feel when you, when you read that very clear commandment of Jesus? What, what reaction does it create in you? Do you like it? That sounds good. Do you dislike it? That sounds bad. Because this theme of judgment, it, it really is a very important biblical theme about how it is that we as Christians are to conduct ourselves in this world. And yet it's one that is, is frequently misunderstood and misapplied, uh, mis- misapplied, isn't it? In, in more than one way. There's more than one mistake that we can make when it comes to judging. It's also a theme that is going to play a role in your life every single day. You can't get out of bed without this being relevant. We feel this in the cultural climate, for example, that we're living in, don't we? It's, it's a little bit like handling live explosives when it comes to judging. When it comes to using your judgment, falling off either one side or the other just seems so much easier than maintaining the narrow balance that we see in Jesus. So, for example, there can be something in us on one side of this this hill to fall off, that wants to take what Jesus says here and then to exaggerate it beyond recognition, to mean that we should not, that we can't hold strongly to any of our beliefs. Isn't that a possible mistake that we can make? That's one side we can fall off. That's that's not it. Because it is impossible to say that the teachings of Jesus are true without also at the same time having the implication be true that anybody who disagrees with him is wrong. It's it's a necessary part of our faith. If we are going to believe that any part of our faith is real, we are going to offend somebody somewhere, just by existing. And yet here is Jesus saying, do not judge. And so if I want to, I can twist that to mean that what Jesus wants me to do is the same thing as what kind of culture is telling me to do, which is just to keep my mouth shut and fit in. Another example. Um, As a a pastor, one of the most difficult and painful parts of my job is my involvement in what we call church discipline, when we've got to rebuke someone. Sometimes we need to sit people down, look them in the eyes, and tell them that the way in which they are living is out of step with Christ. That's never easy, that's never pleasant, I don't look forward to it. Uh, it's not about imposing our will on people, that's, that's not what we're on about. It's about keeping the gospel clear. It's about making salvation certain. And it's about making sure that people deal with God with sincerity, which leads to the greatest of blessings for many. 
including the person we're talking to. When it comes to those difficult chats, I don't know if you've ever been involved in one like this, maybe with your kids or with a friend. Almost always, at some point during that conversation, the person who's being confronted will say something like, why is everybody judging me? It's the get-out-of-jail-free card, isn't it? It's how you can avoid any form of criticism. It's the easy escape. Look, I might be walking away from my spouse, but why are you judging me? Well, because you're walking away from your spouse. That's, I thought that was implicit in the statement there. Every single time when someone says, why are you judging me? There's another thing that happens, and that is, it hurts. Isn't it strange? Even if, uh, even if we find ourselves wearing that that hat with the best of motives and the best of reasons and conducting ourselves perfectly, that accusation is always going to cut. Why is that? It's because we don't want to be accused of judging. I think, I think about 10 years ago, I don't think that there was a, a worse name that you could have been called than intolerant. That was kind of, that was kind of the insult at choice of choice at the time. Things have escalated a bit since then. Tolerance is dead. We've, we've moved on to the new thing. The names have changed. Um, but intolerance, it still carries with it a, a stigma, doesn't it? It's a, it's a thing you don't want to be. And so perhaps there are some of us here today who really like Jesus' command here because you've been using it to get off the hook of having to stand with Jesus publicly. But that's not it. That's, that's not what Jesus is Saying, In fact, there are a number of places in the Gospels where Jesus explicitly commands us to judge. Uh, for example, just after telling us not to judge unless we are judged, the next sentence is, and then don't cast your pearls before swine, which means that you think of some other people as swine, and that's totally legit. <sighs> what, what about John 7.24, where the same Jesus who told us not to judge tells us, um, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. What about Luke chapter 12, 56 and 57, where he's confronting uh, the religious leaders of the day, he says, and the, and the false, falsely religious of the day. He says, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? In other words, there is a positive kind of judgment that we as Christians are meant to exercise. There is a right judgment as well as a wrong judgment. Of course I have to judge. You can't function in this world without exercising judgment. Sound judgment is a virtue. Jesus was quite happy to call sin, sin. That doesn't make him judgmental. And he's told us to do likewise. We have to know the difference between good and evil. We have to know the difference between right and wrong. And it's not possible to know that without also knowing that the actions of another are either good or evil. So we will see those things in other people. We will judge. There's a right kind of judgment. And so if Jesus' command doesn't mean hold your beliefs loosely and keep, keep quiet about them, and it doesn't mean 
We have to automatically approve of every decision everyone else makes ever. And it doesn't mean we can never describe something as wrong. Heaven forbid. Imagine trying to live like that. What does it mean? What, like he's placing something out of bounds here, isn't he? He's telling us, do not do this thing. And what is that thing? And here we run into the, the other side of the mountain that we can fall off, the other side of the bridge, the other fence. There is a thing which we have all encountered. I think we all know it quite uh, through, through painful experience. There is a judgmental kind of person. Judgmental kind of person. We've all met somebody like this before, right? Maybe, like me, you are that person. The person who is so full of their own opinion that everybody else has to hear about it all the time. They, the, the kind of person who, who can find the flaw in anything except for themselves. Um, their public voice, if they have one, perhaps in places like social media, is just a, a, a constant condemnation, stream of condemnations of others, without any kind of self-reflection or self-awareness. Is it really odious? Like, there, there really is a problem here. There's, there's a life lesson for us here, which is this. If you add the phrase, look, I say this in love, to the start of a sentence, that doesn't make it true. Yeah. It's not permission, it's not a blank check to say whatever you want at the end. The entire conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees revolved around the Pharisees being like this. Okay? They were, they were religious leaders who saw their role in the world as to constantly criticize and to control everyone else and to spend no energy or effort into correcting their own heart. They were a mess, spiritually speaking. We know this because they crucified their own God. List of things to do if you're a mature spiritual person. It's not on there. Right? But they claimed to be wise when they were fools. Jesus says they were, they were like blind guides. The blind leading the blind. You'll fall into a pit. And it turns out, unfortunately, that Pharisees are not a problem of the past only. Actually, it turns out that there is a little Pharisee living in each and every one of us. And so how do I do it? How do I judge with right judgment without falling off the other side into judgmentalness? How do I, how do I maintain that balance? Well, it shouldn't surprise us who know Jesus that his way of dealing with this very common human trait is to crack our hearts open and to expose our own motives to us in a way that we would have been blind to had he not said it, but then once he says it, we can't help but see. He's the master of the heart. And hopefully he's going to do that for you and I here today in his Sermon on the Mount. I've split what Jesus has to say into two parts. There's a, there's a, there's a warning and an encouragement. I was going to call it the carrot and the stick, but it sounded too harsh. There's a warning and there's an encouragement for us here. Why don't we start with the warning? Jesus warns us here that a judgmental attitude shows us that we are in spiritual danger. That's, that's the first part of the cure. There's a few bits to it. In verses 1 and 2, we read the first. 
Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This, this makes um, so much sense. Just, just uh, think, about, think about it with me. We as Christians, don't we believe that our standing with God is entirely of grace from beginning to end? Right? That's our gospel. Our salvation is the result of what Jesus has done on our behalf in his life and his death and his resurrection. So we receive salvation from our sin as a gift of grace through faith. Our salvation is not the result of our earning or deserving through works of the law or any other kind of working. And so if you are a Christian, think about it with me, about the time when you came to faith, when you became a Christian. Do you remember it? I remember it. And do you remember that moment of realisation that I'm a sinner and I need a saviour? I need mercy. And in the, the, the words of Newton, how precious did that grace appear? The hour I first believed. What we found in Jesus was that our Saviour was willing and able to give us mercy in our need. And in receiving that free gift of grace, you were set free. You were washed. You were joyful. You were at peace. Please understand, if you're here today and you are not yet a Christian, understand that this is the door to salvation and relationship with God. This is the way we enter into friendship with God and all the things that come with that. It's, it's about surrender. That's what the Christian faith is. It is a giving up and a receiving that is required in order to be a Christian. It's, a coming, to your end of your, it's coming to the end of yourself. We, we do not enter the kingdom of God with our heads held high, proud of our achievements, that's not, that's not what we're doing here. We enter the kingdom of God, we come in humbled, having come to the end of ourselves and then at our lowest moment, finding that he lifts us up. It's the Christian faith. And isn't that a good thing? Because I don't know about you, but I personally believe that we are not capable of earning it. If that was not the way that salvation was going to work, there would be no salvation. The, the corruption that is within us simply runs too deeply. And so, all of this comes with the necessary implication that salvation is God treating me better than I deserve to be treated. It is a necessary implication that salvation is God treating me better than I deserve. My whole standing before God is based on His being kind to me when I don't deserve it. Our hope is, as Romans says, that God justifies the ungodly. 
And so, how could we, who have received such a mercy, then go on to withhold it from others? That's the whole point. Isn't that exactly what is happening in the heart of a judgmental Christian? You are measuring other people by a standard that you yourself are hoping to avoid. Grace for me, law for them. When you look at the sins and the flaws of others, are you thinking to yourself, there but for the grace of God go I? Or are you thinking, that sinner needs to be crushed away with him? The thing (laughs) that Jesus is placing out of bounds for us is this very thing. He isn't saying put down your convictions. He's not saying put down critical thinking. He is telling us not to condemn ourselves by our treatment of others. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Isn't that severe? It's frightening. Doesn't it sound strange for Jesus, who knows that salvation is his work, to tell us that we will be judged by our own standard? Isn't that a weird thing for him to say? My best understanding of it is this. It's that (laughs) grace has an effect in us if you've actually received it and not just said some words. And that effect is that grace softens us. It softens us towards God, it changes our heart, and in doing so, it softens us towards our neighbour. So as a result, grace changes the way that we treat people because we've been treated so differently. And so if you are harsh in your judgments of others, well, that's actually a pretty good sign that you've forgotten that you yourself stand in grace and that you are approaching God by some other means. This warning, actually, um, the thing that it reminds me of is King David. Do you remember that story? Do you remember how King David sinned against God and against his neighbour by taking Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and then having the man killed to conceal the crime? The king, the Lord's anointed, heinous sin. And so, in a move of what it turns out to be, grace. God sent Nathan the prophet to confront this wayward king. What does Nathan do? He tells David a story with no names. He says, King David, there was a rich man and a poor man. One day the rich man steals the only lamb which belongs to the poor man in order to entertain a guest. He didn't want to take one from his own flocks. He was being greedy. What should the judgment be for this rich man who has acted thus? What's David's reply? It's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. It says, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing 
and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Ooh. <laughs> you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me. You've taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. David pronounces judgment on the rich man and in doing so pronounces judgment on himself. Do you understand? If you were to be judged by your attitude toward other people, what would the judgment be? Would you find mercy for your sins? Would you find forgiveness and grace? And second chances? Third chances? Fourth chances? Or would you find the judgment of law? There's a tricky balance here. It's probably worth mentioning at this point. I mean, how, how many psalms do we have which are a plea to God for vindication, for justice from your oppressor? That's not out of bounds for the life of a Christian. That's part of the life of faith too. People can sin against us and we really can ask God to rescue us from that. And yet, there is a danger here to be wary of that Jesus is bringing to our attention. There is something within us which has a clearer view of justice when it is applied to somebody else than when it is applied to me. David could see the significance of the sin of the rich man whilst being at the same time oblivious to the significance of his own sin. He had deceived himself. It's dangerous. We are used to looking outward and making judgments. That's easy. And the danger comes when we forget to compare that by looking inwards and judging. And so Jesus tells us how to avoid the danger. He says we need to deal with a disease. It's a common disease. Uh, I, I'd like to call it plank speck-itis. Every now and then I come down with a good case of it. Why do you see the speck, the splinter that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the two by four sticking out of your own head? That's the question. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? <laughs> you hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the difference between right judgment and judgmentalness. This is the difference. It's knowing or forgetting your own fallen nature. 
That's the difference. The one who is aware of his or her own shortcomings will be more merciful towards others. The one who has forgotten that they stand in grace will not treat others graciously. It turns out, surprise, surprise, that judgmentalness is a gospel issue. If you are resting deeply in the gospel, you will be merciful. And here's where we get to the encouragement. You find it in verses 7 to 11. Jesus tells us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Can you imagine that? Like Fletcher rocks up talking to Kyle one day. Dad, can I have some bread? Snake! It's bad parenting. <laughs> if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Feel it. How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask Him? You know, I, on first reading, I didn't immediately see the connection between these parts of the sermon. In fact, I was a little bit surprised that we had the parts on judgment and then we had this part as well. I was like, what am I going to do with that? I'm probably just going to ignore the back end, pretend like it didn't happen. <laughs> that was the original plan. I think when we, and when we preached through this passage at our church, I'm pretty sure we we've, we've split them up. And then we've, we've had the sermon on judging and then we've had the sermon on prayer, right? That, that's, that's a way to do it. It's not fundamentally wrong. Um, but there is a connection here. We're meant to see the connection. We're meant to see it, and that's made more clear by the fact of how verse 12 begins. Verse 12 begins, so, treat others the way you want to be treated, the golden rule. And the so is there to show you, that's, it's like a, because of what I've just said, act this way, right? Which means that this stuff about the father's attitude towards his children has got something to do with us fulfilling the golden rule and treating others the way we want to be treated. There's a connection. And once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's this. Our view of who God is shapes us. Our view of who God is shapes us. Do, do you know the parable of the, the talents? The, this, the, the illustration that Jesus gives where he describes three men who receive talents, which is a weight of money, uh, from their master, who goes away and comes back. And the first two have invested what was given to them. They've, they've put it to work. It has grown, and their master receives them with joy. Enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. But the last servant has done nothing with his talent. He's buried it in the ground and waited for the master to come back. The master is displeased. Jesus says it like this. He says, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. 
What is this servant's view of his master's character? Do you see what I'm saying? Master, I, I knew you to be a hard man. Taking profit where you put no work in. And so because, because I know that's who you are, I was afraid of the responsibility that you had given me, that it was some petty test designed to crush me. And so what did I do? I hid. I buried it in the ground and just thought, hopefully I can avoid his wrath. That's the best I can hope for. Here, have what is yours. I don't want it. Get it off. I don't want that responsibility. I'm out. The, the servant's view of his master's character has created his actions, do you see? And so the question becomes this. <laughs> is he right? The, the, the servant is living out of the belief that God is a tyrant. That he's mean. That he's, <laughs> that he's petty and cruel. That he designs tests to get you to fail them. And so because he believes this about God, he is stingy in his service to God. Fear fails to produce fruit. It's, it's, just, it's just not the engine that produces a changed life. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's not the end of wisdom. Is that who God is? No. <laughs> no. He is wrong. Ours is not a distant and angry God. He is severe in one sense, yes, but his grace is super abundant. That is our God. He is the Lord, the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in long-standing love for those who fear him. He's described in Titus 3. Paul wrote, we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient and led astray. We were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sounds like they had a judgmentalness problem. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, He saved us. The goodness... And the loving kindness of God, our Saviour, appeared. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. But according to his own mercy. He has mercy for you. He has goodness for you. He has loving kindness for you. God has been pleased not just to forgive us in Christ. Were that not enough? But he has then gone on to adopt us. And to make us his children, co-heirs with the Son. <laughs> he is your Father in heaven and he has been pleased to let you call him by that name. <laughs> Knowing the Father's heart is what transforms us. Some portion of our judgmentalness is like this aggressive defence that we project out into the world. <laughs> it's an overcompensation for our own inadequacy. Some portion of it. We don't look inwards at our own flaws because our flaws are scary. They're threatening. I don't like them. 
I don't like that they are there and I don't like that I can't make them go away. It's threatening to the part of me that wants to enter the kingdom of God on my own two feet. When I don't like it, there's a thing in me which hardens and overcompensates. Is that too pointy? We pretend at virtue whilst judging others when we're in this state. A judgmental person, it turns out, is an insecure person. A judgmental person is an insecure person. And it is the grace which comes by Jesus alone that sets us free from the need to pretend to be righteous. My flaws lose their power to threaten me when I understand who my father is and how he views me. You know what? You can know that I am imperfect if you hadn't figured it out already. Why can you know that? I don't have to be right all the time. My being right is not the source of my security. My security is not in my performance anymore. It's that I've heard the words of my master, well done, good and faithful servant. It's that I have experienced God's own pleasure in placing his name upon me and calling me his. A judgmental person, do you see this? A judgmental person is a person who isn't receiving grace. That's it. It's a a kind of aggressive defense of the self, which means the person who is the most judgmental is a person who is living their life out from the platform of a a self-righteous view of the world. Self-righteous, righteous within myself. And when I'm approaching the world from self-righteousness, my flaws are a threat to my sense of well-being and to my security. I'm living in fear of judgment. And so I can't be wrong. I can't look inwards because I'll notice that I'm wrong. I must only ever look outwards. This is a gospel issue. It's a moment of spiritual health check. This is what the Pharisees missed in their religious performance that caused them to kill their gods. And we can see it in them. And now it's time to see it in ourselves and to be rescued. And then we get to the golden rule. (laughs) So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. It's the whole Bible summarized after the, the greatest command. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. There are two sides you can fall off this bridge. That's what we've said, isn't it? Our passage today has been primarily focused on addressing one side more than the other, so we can do that with our application. Jesus is speaking to that judgmental part of our hearts and he is calling us 
by grace to put it to death. And so here is your application this week. When it comes to judging, judge others by the standard you want to be judged with. Judge others by the standard you want to be judged with. Now, as I say that, you're thinking of the person you've been judging recently. (laughs) Thinking, that doesn't sound very nice. I don't want to do that. That sounds hard. Do you find it difficult? I do. What a surprise to find that the gospel is our solution. Do you find yourself being harsh with others? Do you find yourself lacking grace? Do you find yourself being self-superior? The cure comes from looking inward and grappling with my own need for grace. The cure is an uncomfortable moment meeting with God. David and Nathan style and being confronted by the enormity of your own sin, being humbled, not just humbled, but once humbled in receiving the undeserved mercy of our God, which comes through Jesus and which is for you. And having received mercy, finding the strength to show it. So perhaps that's our prayer this week. It's an ugly one. (laughs) God, would you show me my fallenness? Would you knock me off my perch by letting me see my own problems? Not to crush me, not to destroy me, to rescue me. And sit there. Let, Let guilt do its work in you and then let grace do its work in you. There is not a flaw in you which the blood of Jesus cannot wash. So receive it. Receive it. Come. Come to the throne of grace and be made clean and be made new. Be restored. Humble yourself before God and He will lift you up. Having received that from Him, let's go on to treat others differently. Let's pray. Father, grace is um, sounds simple. It's not. It's really hard. It is the thing which is the the opposite of what my flesh wants. It destroys everything in me, which sets itself up against you, seeks out to strive for my own glory. It's humbling. It's ugly. It's messy, it's tears, it's humiliating in all of the best ways. Father, this morning I confess that this problem that you are describing in your sermon is a problem within me. I am am, am guilty of what King David is guilty of in my judgmentalness. 
very, very aware of the flaws of others. And I'm so much less aware of my own flaws. And that's a travesty. Now go. And so thank you. Thank you for your word, which is the sword of the spirit that divides right down to the core, pierces my heart. Thank you for your word, which in your good grace to me, pours me out and exposes every secret thought and intention. Prevents me from hiding behind a facade of self-righteousness, me who is not righteous. Father, I confess I am a sinner, that I do not deserve your mercy, and that if salvation were by deserving, I do not deserve it. Father, I can think of so many ways, even this week, where my sinful heart has shown itself to be corrupt. Thoughts that no one else heard, Desires that no one else knew about. Words spoken in private that should never have been spoken. Maybe even some words spoken in public that should never have been spoken. Our prayer today, our Father, is that because you are merciful, that you would give us the grace which comes by Jesus. Give it to me now. Wash me and make me new. Forgive my sin for his sake. Look to the cross and see what he has done for me and pardon me, I pray. Father, thank you when we pray like that, <laughs> that you don't just say yes, but that you draw us near, that you pour out your spirit you stand in public and you proclaim, this one is mine. I'm not ashamed. Teach my heart to believe that. Teach my heart to believe that when you say that you are my Father in heaven, that you mean it. That you know how to give your children good gifts. That you know how to care for us beyond our ability, beyond our deserving. And you will not change your mind. Thank you for grace. Now, would that grace have its full effect in me, Father, in us? Would it, uh, <laughs> would it transform our eyes so that we see, see this world through a grace lens? We would desire to be agents of mercy and reconciliation rather than of judgment and justice. Vengeance is yours, Lord, and that's the way it should be. But Father, would, would you take that person who I have hated in my heart, Lord, and would you do to them the, what you've done to me? Don't hold their sins against them, Father. They don't know what they do show them the same mercy you have shown me.
today. Lord, we pray for our enemies that they would become our brothers and sisters. For that is better to us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus who has made all this possible, who has brought about reconciliation between me and you. Would his kingdom know no end? Would it grow until it fills all and all things are made new? In his name we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.